in here are good at movie trivia? Raise your hand. Anybody? Movie trivia. Anybody? Just a, just a handful. Okay. All right. Well, even though that's the case, my guess is that many of you are familiar with this movie right here. Look at this picture. You're familiar with this movie, am I right? Can you see it? Yeah. What, what picture is this movie from? Titanic. Titanic. Very good. That's right. And, and this particular picture from the movie is taken from a well-known scene in the movie, isn't it? So now let me ask you this. Let me ask you a follow-up question to the first question I ask. What is the famous line from this scene? Anybody know? The famous line. What is? That's right. I am the king of the world, right? I am the king of the world. It's a very familiar and iconic scene from the movie, isn't it? And, and many of you who've seen the movie, you're also probably familiar with the context surrounding this scene here and the statement that is made. Am I right? If you've seen the movie, you remember that in the movie, Leonardo DiCaprio plays a young, happy-go-lucky guy named Jack Dawson. And at the beginning of the movie, long before everything goes south for him and for everybody else on the ship, it seems as if, at first, everything's going Jack's way, right? I mean, everything's going right for this guy. When we're first introduced to him at the beginning of the movie, he's sitting at a poker table, and he wins a set of tickets aboard the Titanic in a hand of poker. At first, it, it does seem like, man, everything's going right for this guy. And that's really what leads him to make this statement right here. I am the king of the world when he, when he gets aboard this ship. And after that, you remember when aboard this ship, life even gets better for him, doesn't it? Because he meets the love of his life, Rose, who's played by Kate Winslet. So toward the beginning of this movie, everything is going this guy's way. Though he has next to nothing in his pockets, though he's dirt poor, he wins a ticket aboard this beautiful ship, and on this ship, he meets the love of his life. And he truly feels, Jack feels, as if he is on top of the world. He's on cloud nine. He feels as if he is king of the world. You ever felt this way? You ever felt like this here? Look at this picture. You ever felt like that? You ever felt as if you were on top of the world, king of the world? Yeah. I think we all have. Now, some more than others, right? But to an extent, most of us, if not all of us, at one time or another, we felt like this. We know what this feels like. To feel as if you're on top of the world. And not only that, but many of us, if we're honest, we even take it a step further, don't we? Many of us, if we're honest, we have to admit that deep down, this is a deep-seated desire of ours to be the king, at least over our world. If we're honest, if you were honest, if I were honest, if we were honest, we would have to admit that we love it when things go our way. And we would love it if the world would just revolve around us all the time true you and I 
We have this deep-seated desire within us to be the king over our life and world. We want to call the shots. We want to do things the way we want to do them without answering to anyone or anything. We want to do things our way. And we want things to go our way. Frank Sinatra used to sing a song called My Way. Listen to the lyrics of this song. And now the end is here. So I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway and more, much more than this. I did it my way. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. Now listen to this. For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels, listen to this, and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and I did it my way. Folks, I think if we're honest, deep down, we want to do things our way. We don't want to be the one who kneels. We want to do it our way. We want to be the captain of our own ship, the master of our own fate. We want to live life the way we want to live it. We want to do things our way, and we want things to go our way. We don't want to answer to anyone or anything. We want everything to go our way. We want to be the king. This is our goal in life right here. This is the goal of people out there. It is. To be the king. But there's a problem with that mentality. And Jack Dawson learned it when the ship went down. Now, we're not the king. We're not the king. We're not in control of our lives the way we think we are. God clearly tells us in his word that though we think we're in the driver's seat, though we think we're the master of our own fate, the captain of our own ship, the fact is we're not. We're not. A key truth that we see revealed time and time again all throughout the scriptures is this, that God is God and we aren't. That he is the king and we are not. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 93. Psalm 93. This morning we are continuing our study through the book of Psalms. And what we've been saying is that though the book of Psalms is classified as poetry, within the book of Psalms, y'all have heard me say this a million times already, right? Are various kinds and types of Psalms within the book of Psalms. And we've looked at many of these already, haven't we? We've looked at Psalms of Wisdom. We've looked at a psalm of of praise, a psalm of lament, a psalm of thanksgiving. Last week, we looked at a psalm of remembrance. And today, we're going to be looking at a kingship psalm. And there are several kingship psalms that we find within the book of Psalms. And they can be divided into two groups, okay? So you see how deep this rabbit hole goes. 
You see how multi-layered this book is. Not only is the book of Psalms classified as poetry, but within this poetic books are various kinds and types of poetic psalms, and within certain various kinds and types of poetic psalms are various kinds and types of poetic psalms. You with me? You here? You awake? Okay. And we see this here in the kingship psalms. There are two different types of kingship psalms. The first type is what is called human kingship psalms. And these psalms tend to focus on a human king, specifically the king of Israel. And though many of these types of psalms often point forward to the future king of kings and lord of lords, the Lord Jesus, though many of these psalms tend to be prophetic in this way, when looking at the immediate context of these types of psalms, human kingship psalms, they do in fact focus in upon an earthly human king. For example, Psalm 21. Psalm 21. I believe you have this in your spiritual growth guide, but you can turn there if you're quick. In Psalm 21, David says this, O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. Here David is talking about an earthly human king, right? This is one type of of kingship psalm, human kingship psalm. The second type of kingship psalm is what is called divine kingship psalms. And these, of course, focus on and proclaim God as king. For example, Psalm 47.7 says this, For God is the king, that's pretty clear, right, of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. So these psalms focus upon and direct praise toward God as the king. Well, like I said a moment ago, we're going to be looking at Psalm 93 this morning. And just by taking a quick glance at this psalm, can you tell me what type of kingship psalm this is? A human or divine kingship psalm? What do you think? Just take a, take a glance. Divine, right? Notice how the psalm begins. It begins with, the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. That's pretty obvious, right? It's pretty obvious that we're dealing with a divine kingship psalm here because the psalmist starts off right off the bat with God reigns. And guess what, folks? That's the message of the psalm this morning. Pretty simple, right? The message of this psalm is that God reigns. He is king. And not just a king over a certain group of people. Not just the king over a certain area, but he's the king of all kings. He is the king of all the earth, as it says in Psalm 47, 7. Like I said earlier, though each and every one of us have this deep-seated desire to be the king over our life and our world, Scripture clearly affirms time and time again that God is in fact the king. And that's the main point this morning. That's the psalmist's main reason for writing Psalm 93, to proclaim the fact that God is the king. And to do that, 
To drive home this truth that God is king, the psalmist gives us four characteristics of God as king. First, he shows us, number one, that God is the majestic king. God is the majestic king. Look at Psalm 93, verse 1. The psalmist says, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. If there was ever any question about who is in charge in this life and in our world and over our lives, the psalmist settles it right here, folks. The psalmist says very clearly in verse 1, the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. Folks, there's not a more powerful statement in all the Bible than that right there. The Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. He says he is robed in majesty. Stop there for a minute. Don't just pass over that. Notice he doesn't say the Lord appears to be majestic. He doesn't say the Lord looks the part. You know, back in those days, even if kings were not all that mighty and powerful, they at least wanted to look the part, right? They wanted to appear to be so. But notice here, the psalmist doesn't say that, that God looks the part. He doesn't just appear to be impressive. He is truly magnificent. He says he is robed in majesty. He's not robed in something that looks great. He's not robed in something that looks majestic. The psalmist says his very robe is majesty. He is clothed in garments of greatness. Wow. What a statement. He's basically saying, you may know of a ruler who looks the part and appears to be outwardly impressive, but the Lord is clothed in majesty. He is clothed with splendor and glory. Folks, who else can that be said of? Who? No one, right? Except the Lord alone. He reigns. He is robed in majesty. He is clothed in glory. He is wrapped in garments of greatness. And then he repeats this for us, just in case we missed it. For emphasis, he says, he is robed in this. He is decked out from head to toe in greatness. That's our God. Notice he also says he has put on strength as his belt. Not only... Is the Lord clothed in greatness and in majesty, but also in strength and in power? Like we've said already, there are a lot of rulers who look impressive outwardly and who appear to be mighty and powerful, but behind the veil they're not. They're like Oz. Remember Oz? They seem regal and majestic and powerful, but behind the veil they are in fact impotent and powerless and helpless and cowardly. But folks, that's not true of our God. He doesn't just look the part, he is the part. His very clothing is glory and honor and greatness and power. Therefore, he's to be looked to and trusted and followed as the king of all kings. And again, folks, what's said of God 
in this chapter cannot be said of any other earthly king or leader on the planet. And especially cannot be said of us, right? Therefore, he is the only one who rightfully and ultimately belongs on the throne of our life and our world. He's the only one who has the right to rule there. He is the majestic king. Second, God is the eternal king. Look at verse 2. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. First, before we get into talking about God's kingdom here, let's first just focus on God here and the fact that he is eternal. Scripture clearly affirms this. Psalm 90 verse 2 says this, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The psalmist is making the point here that that though the earth and the mountains and the sun and the sky seem as if they've been here forever, though they seem as if they've all always been here, the psalmist makes the point that they had a beginning and it is God who created them. He is the creator. He is eternal. He says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And again, in Psalm 93, the psalmist says, you are from everlasting. And not only that, not only is God an eternal God, but he is also the eternal king. Look at verse 2 again. The psalmist says, your throne is established from old You see, the cultures in and around Israel during this time, you know, they had annual ceremonies to celebrate their gods coming to power. And they would celebrate this year in and year out. They they held these, these ceremonies yearly to celebrate when their God was crowned king. They, they had these ceremonies to celebrate their God's rise to power. Guess what? The Israelites didn't have any kind of ceremony like that. You know why? Because there was never a time in history when their God was crowned. The God of the Israelites, the one true God of the Scriptures, has always been the king. He has never not been on the throne. There has never been a time when God was not in charge. He has always been the king. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God, and his throne has always been established and will always. Listen to Psalm 45, 6. It says it as clear as day. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. It's pretty clear, isn't it? I don't think there's any other way we can interpret that other than God, your throne, is forever and ever. Whenever we have a presidential election or whenever there's a regime change anywhere, there's always fear from some about who the future leader is going to be and how their rule and leadership is going to affect people and the state of things in society. Folks, let this set in. Let this be of comfort to you. Our God has never not been in power. He has never stepped off the throne. 
Though others claim to be in the driver's seat and claim all the power and influence, God has never yielded his power. He has never stepped off his throne. He has never relinquished his authority. Now, I know what some of you are thinking in the back of your minds. You're thinking, well, at times it sure does feel that way. Feels as if at times things are out of his hands. You know why that is? Because our world has been ruined and wrecked because of sin. See, though God initially created this world and us in it perfect, man fell, right? Man chose to go against God, go at life on his own, and ruined and wrecked God's perfect world. Things got really, really messed up pretty quickly. But you know what we learned from Scripture? We learned that God is at work right now, at this moment, building a kingdom of redeemed people, and we're reminded of it every time we come in here on Sunday, aren't we? We are. We're reminded that God is at work right now, building a kingdom of redeemed people for himself. We're also promised that there is coming a day in the future when this work being done in us and in our world will be completed. There is coming a time when this world and us in it, believers, we will be made perfect once again. So though God is on the throne, his kingdom has not yet fully been restored to where it once was, but it will be one day. That's why the Lord Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer and told us to pray the same prayer. He he told us to say, yours is the kingdom while still praying what? Your kingdom come. There's an already not yet aspect to the kingdom of God. God is at work right now. He's building a kingdom of redeemed people. But that work is not yet completed, but it will be one day. And we're to live each day, folks, with that day in mind. Though we live in a fallen and broken world and are a fallen and broken people, we are to live with the hope that both it and us will one day be made complete again. We're to live each day with that day in mind. There are many in our world today who are fearful of our nation's future and the future of the world in which we live. That's not to be true of us, believers. It's not. It's just not. We don't have to live in fearful uncertainty of what's to come. We have the rest of the story right here. We do. We know how it's going to play out. We know it's going to end the way it began. With God on the throne and us with him for all eternity. Can you imagine what it would be like if each and every one of us embraced this truth and lived in this reality? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what our world and our church and our, just our lives as individuals would look like if we lived each day with that future day in mind? our lives and our church and our world would be enriched by us living in this reality so that's the second characteristic the psalmist gives us of God as king that he is the eternal king the third point he makes is this God is also the almighty king our God is mighty 
Look at verses 3 through 4. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Do y'all got it yet? The floods are lifting up. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. This is great here, folks. The psalmist here paints a picture for us of a wild, uncontrolled, dangerous, and horrific storm which would have really hit home for the Hebrew audience. Did you know the Hebrews were scared to death of the sea? They were. They were not seafaring people. They weren't. If you were ever with a group of them sitting around a campfire telling scary stories, I bet one that really terrified them was the story of Jonah. You know? Kids had trouble sleeping at night after hearing the story of Jonah. But that terrified them back in the day because the Hebrews were not seafaring people. The Phoenicians, the Greeks, the Egyptians, they all mastered the sea, but the Hebrews, they were land lovers. That's why you have so many scary illustrations given in the Old Testament about the sea. The sea to them was a picture of forces that were uncontrolled, unexpected, frightening, and dangerous. And again, we see this illustration used over and over again throughout the Psalms and all throughout the Old Testament. And here it is, here in verses 3 through 4 of Psalm 93. And the sea here, it's used to, to illustrate the dangers in this life. The psalmist is making the point that at times, life here on earth can be like an uncontrollable flood. Like the thunder of many waters, the mighty waves of the sea. Life at times can be like a wild and uncontrolled, dangerous and horrific storm. Many of us can relate to this, can't we? We've been in the midst of that storm. I know many of you have. But though that's the case, notice what the psalmist tells us here about God. This is so good. He says, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. The psalmist makes the point here that though life can be like a dangerous and unpredictable, frightening and horrific storm, God is in control and he is mightier than the mightiest of waves. There's an excellent old hymn called God Moves in a Mysterious Way and in it are these lyrics. Listen to this, this is so good. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea, and he rides upon the storm. I like that. What an awesome image. Let me ask you, ever been tossed back and forth by the storms of this life? Ever been in the midst of a dark and difficult season of life and wonder to yourself, where are you, God? Maybe you're there now. Maybe this is exactly where you are. Maybe this illustration and this imagery hits home to you right now. It makes perfect sense to you. If this is you, if you can relate this morning, may the lyrics to that hymn and the, and the, and the, and the verses in this psalm be of comfort to you. May you remember 
May you trust in the fact that God is mightier than the storms of this life. And though it's, at dif- it's difficult at times to see God at work, he's there with you. His footsteps are planted in the sea and he rides upon the storm. One of my heroes of the faith, Legan Duncan, once said this. Look at this quote up here. said, though there are things in our lives that we do not understand, we can trust that God is absolutely in charge for our everlasting good. That's our hope, believers. No matter what. No matter what. That God is absolutely in charge for our everlasting good. There's another great, well-known hymn called It Is Well With My Soul. Y'all are familiar with that hymn, right? Listen to these lyrics. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Why? Why, when sorrows like sea billows roll, could the songwriter say, it is well, it is well with my soul? Psalm 93, verse 1. The Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. He is stronger than the thunder of many waters, mightier than the waves of the ocean. His footsteps are on the sea, and he rides upon the storm. That's our God. Listen, I don't don't know what you're facing today. Maybe you're in the midst of a difficult storm in life at home or in the workplace with your family, friends, coworkers. Maybe it's a health-related issue. Maybe it's a financial difficulty. Listen, no matter your trial, no matter your insecurity, no matter the uncertainty, no matter what is overwhelming your soul this morning, God reigns. He is the king, and he is mightier than anything you're encountering. I pray that would comfort you this morning. Last point. Psalmist has said, God is the majestic king, he is the eternal king, and he is the almighty king. Lastly, he ends this psalm by making the point that God is also the righteous king. God is the righteous king. This is very important. Look at verse 5. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. The psalmist is clear here. Not only is God majestic and eternal and mighty, but he's also faithful and righteous and good. He always does that which is right. He always does that which is good, and everything that's righteous, God does. He's the very definition of what's right and good. I had a football and basketball coach in the seventh grade named Coach Whitmore. Here's a picture of him up on the screen. He doesn't look as terrifying to me now as he did in seventh grade, but he was terrifying in seventh grade. Uh, he's a principal now, but he was a coach back in seventh grade, and, and uh, we were all scared to death of him. And uh, he referred to himself as the man. And he used to walk around with what he called his spirit stick. When you mess up in football, he'd crack that spirit stick right over your helmet, and you could feel it and hear it. And 
He used to say, he used to sing this song while we were running laps around the field. It ain't easy playing for the man, and we would just run, you know? And I'll tell you, anybody in our seventh grade class will tell you who continued sports through high school, we never ran as hard in football and basketball as we did in seventh grade. It was brutal for a seventh grader. And he had one rule, and his rule was the do right rule. He said, you do right, you're good. You mess up, you're in the doghouse, he would say. Which meant we were going to be in a lot of trouble. We were going to pay the price, and some of us did. But guess what? You're probably wondering where I'm going with this. God, here it is right here. You ready? God always follows the do right rule. All right? There you go. God always does what is right. He always does what is right and what is good. You know, one thing that upsets us more than than anything else is when people get into positions of power and they use and abuse their power and the authority and their authority to act immorally, right? But the psalmist here says that's not true of God. God uses his power, his authority, his might for right. And folks, that's great news for us, isn't it? You know why? Because if God is almighty and all-powerful and eternally on the throne of our life, yet is unrighteous and corrupt, that would be very bad news for us, wouldn't it? But he's not. He's righteous He's good, he's trustworthy, he's faithful and holy. Therefore, we can rest in the fact that he will exercise his might for right. He will exercise his power in the best possible way. God is a righteous God. Before we close this morning, I want to end by asking you a simple question straightforward question that I believe to be one of the most important questions that you'll ever have to answer in this life and that's this who is on the throne of your life who's on the throne one thing that we've learned this morning and something we continue to see over and over again as we study God's word is there is only one who has the ultimate right to rule over our world and over your life and that person is not you and that person is not me it's God it's God he's the only one who has the right to rule there we've also said this time and time again in this study It's also important when we're reading an Old Testament passage like this, especially in the Psalms, that that, that we read it with New Testament eyes, right? And something we learn as we continue to read and study through the Scriptures is that God the Father, who has all the authority to give, He has given all authority not to us, but to His Son, the Lord Jesus. He sent His Son to earth, to accomplish salvation for us through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And he has placed his son in the highest position in all of existence. And we're also told that he has given his son the name that is above all names. And folks, though at present, at times the kingship of Christ is difficult to see because of the sin in our lives and in our world believe me when I tell you that his reign is in fact real 
There's coming a day when every person will come face to face with this reality. There's coming a day when everyone will recognize Jesus as king by bowing and confessing that he is Lord. On that day, no tongue will remain silent. No knee will remain unbowed. All of creation will recognize Jesus Christ as Lord. And today you have a decision to make. Whether or not you're going to bow to him today voluntarily or be forced to your knees with the rod of iron. But either way, all of creation will one day recognize Christ as the Lord of all creation and will worship him as the king of all kings. Now, does that mean everyone will be saved? No. Scripture clearly teaches the opposite. In that day, those who have loved him and trusted in him, those who have faithfully followed him and and worshipped him in this life, they will worship in joy for what awaits But those who have refused to follow him in this life, who have refused to to recognize his authority and his divine right to rule, they will bow in submission and fear as they await judgment. But either way, folks, Christ will be exalted. He will be. And I know there are some of you here this morning who are still trying to sit on the throne of your life. Maybe you're here this morning and and you may not voice this, but you think deep down that you can have a little bit of Christ and remain seated on your throne as well. But listen, I'm not going to sugarcoat things for you. I'm not going to tell you that you can have your cake and eat it too because Scripture is clear you can't. Listen, to be right with God, to live a life that's pleasing to Him, to be made right with Him, Scripture is crystal clear before that can happen. You have to first step off the throne of your life and surrender your life to Christ. You have to give your life over to Him. You have to make Him your Lord. You have to follow Him as your King. I urge you today, if you have not, confess Christ as Lord today. Trust in Him for your salvation and faithfully follow Him as your King. Let's pray.